Howdy, howdy, and thanks for checking out episode 108 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports, our guest is a gentleman from the great state of California, by way of Switzerland, actually. And he happens to be a totally blind marathon runner, surfer, tandem cyclist, and overall very interesting and insightful guy. So let's get running now with episode 108 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. Okay, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Roger Oberholzer, and Roger is a visually impaired runner, surfer, blind stoker, and uh, all-around talented uh, adaptive athlete. Roger, welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Greg. Absolutely. Definitely appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I do have to give a shout out to Neil McDonald, uh, Neil Dog, as some know him as. Uh, for recommending you. I've had Neil on the podcast several times and he spoke uh, very highly of you. So it's an honor to to interview you here today. Thank you. Sure, sure. Uh, so why don't we just kick things off uh, with kind of your background as far as where you were born and your early years in life. So I grew up in a town near Zurich in Switzerland. I was lucky enough to grow up in, you know, a beautiful safe, um, stable place. I, you know, went through the regular um, schooling system in Switzerland, meaning kindergarten and so forth. And then at age six, I had something that's called Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which is an allergic reaction towards medications that I had, and it affected um my body and my eyes, which led to eventually me having a lot of problems in regards to sight. And I was actually for six weeks in a coma um, and they weren't sure. Um, I'm 51 years old now. So, you know, we're talking in the late seventies, meaning, you know, there was no internet, there was no, you know, interaction that, that, critical time interaction between like interaction between different countries. And so it took them quite a while to figure out what I actually had because Stevens Johnson is, is fairly rare even to this date, except nowadays, you know, they can figure it out a lot, a lot faster than back then. And I, again, I was in Switzerland. I wasn't in the U S so they, um, found out what I had eventually, but it affected my eyes to the point where I would, where I had, I still saw, but I would eventually have like limited sight. So it meant that I would have enlargements and so forth in public school. I went to regular school. I didn't go to a school for the blind or visually impaired. And I had sight, but I right. couldn't tell you how much, you know, a correction I need. I was able to play soccer. I was able to cycle. I was able to do pretty much everything. I just took papers a lot closer to me um, than, you know, my peers that would see. 
And um, what ended up happening is, it, which is kind of nice um, in Switzerland, they were like, okay, Roger doesn't see that well, let's have him get enlarged text and so forth. And that was really the truth for all my um, growing up in Switzerland, even through business school, um, you know, when I needed accommodations, it wasn't this battle where I had to get doctor's notes saying, you know, Roger is visually impaired. I mean, it seemed obvious and the accommodations I needed were granted pretty easily. Not as much paperwork as I encountered here when I went to university here with um, accommodations and so forth. So, yeah, so, uh, and then um, as I got older, um, I participated, even when I was, uh, you know, I learned how to ski at the young age, even before I had Stevens Johnson. And then as I got older, I started playing on soccer teams and, you know, started also playing raw hockey. And, um, yeah, and then at about um, when it came to making my career decision path i started working for a swiss bank and did an internship there and graduated with a business degree um and and then it was interesting because like it it was my like i had to choose like do i where do i want to work and i had a chance to work one of the famous big Swiss banks and I had also a chance to work for some international banks but I opted to work for the Swiss bank and that that was probably the best job I ever had and I still had sight back then um I I had some cornea transplants but I'll go into that um, in a little bit. So that was my educational thing, basically, to this point. Sure, sure. Interesting. And then so what was your actual job with that bank? So I was working in ATM software development, but on the project management side. So I had a chance hmm. to work with people that were in programming, developing ATM software and so forth. And it it was very interesting to observe, you know, the different personalities and so forth. It was a ton of fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, sounds like great memories and, and great people you got to work with. Yeah. At what point did you actually come to the U.S.? So I ended up um, after during my education, I did pretty well in school. And my dad said, Roger, um, I'm taking you to the U.S. for a for a trip as a reward. And so we traveled, I had a cornea transplant in um, Switzerland and my doctors were not sure how it would turn out. Um, you know, if I would, per if my corneas would perforate or not. And so I ended up being um, like, while we were traveling, we traveled to LA, we traveled to, San Diego, we traveled to Las Vegas, we traveled to several different areas, and I had a list of doctors where that the doctors in Switzerland gave me and said, Hey, if there if you have a problem, these are the doctors you're gonna see, you know, in case like if something happens, go and see these doctors if you have an emergency. 
And so what ended up happening, I was in San Diego at the time when I could tell my cornea perforated and it's kind of like a, like almost I compare it to the water bullet, to a water balloon that perforates and, you know, you, your eye starts tearing really, really quite a bit. And so what ended up happening, I had to have an emergency transplant in San Diego. My cornea um, turned out pretty well. And then I went back to Switzerland, um, worked there and did some additional education and so forth. And then what ended up happening is my corneas would always fail though. And so at one point they decided that, Hey, um, you know, we need to figure something else out because of the Stevens Johnson syndrome that I had as a child. What happens is my body reacts very violently towards foreign tissue. So what ended up happening mm. is. Um, the corneas would get rejected after a few months. And that's because the epithelium on top of the corneas would not stay and protect the eye. And so what ended up happening is they connected me with an HLA-type cornea, which means they were looking at for four factors, like two is a good match, three is an excellent match, and four at the time they told me that it's almost like you you know, the donor would be almost like your twin or, you know, there are only two or three people living at the same time on earth that have that. I don't know if anything changed since I got that information, but at the time, that's what they told us. I got one that had a three factor. It was a cornea that came, um, that I had to, you know, that came originally from Holland, came to Switzerland. I, got then with the cornea tissue and all the paperwork you can imagine to on the plane with my dad flew to the US and the surgeon here implanted that cornea into me and also my dad who was closest genetic from the from the testing that they did to me um, donated some of the conjunctival graft and with that cornea mm -hmm. I saw 2025 and uh, you know I was lucky enough to see that well went back to switzerland and then the the question came up i was done with my education graduated and so forth and then they were like okay where you know i was like i'm gonna go to san diego for six months and study english and go into homestay family and of all things and it's kind of funny that um you know, Neil and and you are, I think, are both both big baseball people. And well, from all the sure. sports that I don't like, baseball, I think I mentioned that to you before. Baseball is the one that I don't like. And I laid on right. the host family's living room floor and their two-year-old son wanted to come and wrestle. And he kicks me and kicked me right in that cornea. So that's how I lost that cornea. And then after that, mm. I just had, they decided to always uh, to do cornea transplants that, you know, because we needed one so quickly that that wasn't HLA typed. And that was like uh, a problem because as I mentioned before, in hindsight, you know, these, it, it's really crucial that 
with that condition that it's it's just carefully looked at by the doctors to make these decisions. And in the US, they don't really do HLA typed corneas that often. But in hindsight, you know, I probably would have waited again for an HLA typed cornea, but that's not what happened. Sure, sure. Wow. So definitely a freak accident that, uh, that took care of your vision. Yeah. How old were you when that happened then? So that happened when I was probably, uh, I would say, roughly tw- around 22 or so. Right. And so then t- around 2022. And then what happened is like, um, they, um, I would fly back and forth while I was working between Switzerland and the, the US and would have these surgical procedures. And then at one point, my situation was so critical that the doctors were like, because I literally had like dozens of corneal transplants. They were like, okay, Roger, you gotta, you gotta, you know, consider staying here in the U S. And so I ended up like, I ended up, you know, meeting my first wife and then, you know, like I, I decided, okay, I'm going to stay in the U S and, that's how I ended up in the U.S. is basically because of the medical condition I had and the care that I was given in the 90s was a lot more specialized than what I encountered lately. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like I would be better served staying in the U.S. and having my surgeries here and go also get some additional degrees while I was undergoing the the surgeries because you have so much time off during transplants that I ended up getting more degrees in the U.S. Oh, I see. Interesting. So then in terms of adaptive sport, so I know you did mention you did play some sports growing up, you know, as a kid when you had more vision. Um, so how did you kind of get inter- introduced to sports for the blind and adaptive sports in general? My dad was actually the president of a soccer team in Switzerland when I was growing up. So, and soccer is well, mm. very popular in Switzerland. And so I was basically always since I can remember a soccer fan. And then, um, I started playing soccer really young and skiing and just, you know, with my friends and so forth, the normal kids sports, but then also joined you know, the youth team and so forth. And then when I got older, I just always loved sports. It was always for me something that I liked participating in with um, even peers that were fully sighted. And I never, I was never like on a team for visually impaired athletes, so to speak, even though I was visually impaired even at the time, right? My vision wasn't 2020. And so um, well, how I first got introduced to visual impairment sports was when I lived for a time in San Diego um, in 2016, and I got introduced to the Blind Stokers Club um, in San Diego. And... Um, yep. And uh, I started riding quite frequently with my captains, which is a it's a fantastic club for anybody that wants to tandem cycle. And um, 
they have a huge pool of you know captains and stokers and every year they have an event called cycling for sight that is a big event it's a two-day event and um i got introduced to that i found out i don't even recall how i exactly found out about it but i got in touch with david dwight who's the you know the director one of the directors of the club and uh the event was just happening so i took part in that event and um, have gone numerous times since then to the cycling for sight event and met some great people through that captains and stokers and so forth and that now they even have like a you know a hiking like a blind stokers adventure segment where they go hiking and do events in you know in the desert and so forth so it's a it's a great program and then when i moved to um Folsom, i was like okay i don't have any tandem captains here how do i find tandem captains and that's how i met richard hunter who is the founder of united in stride and i i called richard hunter and was like hey richard i heard you're you have tandem captains and he said to me actually roger I don't know that many tandem captains, but I can hook you up with running guides. And so that's how me and my um, my second wife started running together in 2018. And uh, we did the California International Marathon Relay. And um, that's how I started running because of Richard's influence in hooking me up with guides to run with. and. It has been my passion and so to speak happy place ever since to run with with, with the guides I have. Sure, sure. That's awesome. And I'm curious, had you done any kind of running prior to that or you know, I, I did in school I ran like but only like on the local like on the local level. I wasn't like I never thought before that I would run marathons. That was never my thing. Um, I would have never right. dreamt and of, of running marathons. And when I started running in 2018, it was actually, it was an event called the big run. And it was, a, it was a 5k run. And it was, I thought that I'm going to die. I thought this is like the, you know, the, the, <laughs> it's the longest run ever. And now, you know, a training run is, is longer than that, but it takes so much it's a, it takes so much time and training. And I think that's the neat thing about the running and marathon running, especially all the athletes, you know, you don't have people being arrogant about it because everybody realizes how much training it takes, how much preparation it takes, how much effort it takes. And people really respect each other because of all the efforts that go into it. So it has been a really, really great thing that, you know, that has, like I met some fabulous people through guiding and also athletes that participated beside me on these, you know, on these, the, the California International Marathon or even the shorter runs, you know, like the half marathons or the, or even in the world majors marathons, you meet these other 
athletes with disabilities and it's always an awesome experience to meet all these other athletes that are you know fulfilling their goals by accomplishing finishing a world major marathon absolutely yeah and i definitely wanted to ask you a little more about some of those major events uh, like the new york city marathon the boston marathon chicago um, just in general, anything, any memories of, of any of those really come to mind and, and stand out to you? I mean, the nice thing about these different events is, you know, the, the Boston Marathon is special because it's the oldest marathon and it's a huge thing sure. to qualify for the Boston Marathon and then being able to participate in it because it's so, it's so iconic, right? Like the... The New York for so I did I was able to qualify for the Boston Marathon and I you know was able to run in that marathon in 2022. Two guides of mine were um going to that event with me, um Tiffany and Paolo, and we were able to, you know, finish under five hours and um it was a great event because I was able to bring two of my guides um, to that event. And um, when I started with them, I told them if I ever get the chance to go to Boston, you know, they, I would ask them first and they were both able to make it and are still guides to this day for me. Then my second event was also in 2022. That was the New York Marathon. And that one was brutal because I ended up um, in in twenty in Boston. I actually didn't know about Achilles International. I came to be introduced to Achilles International later in preparation for the New York Marathon. And the way I learned about Achilles International was I was planning on going with one of my guides from here and she had some personal matters that she had to take care of and I had to find the replacement guide from for New York and what ended up happening is Achilles International hooked me up with Michaela and with um, Simon Simon who's actually from England and so I had two guides that never ran with me before, but are fantastic people and friends now. And I mean, Simon flew all the way from England to guide me for the New York Marathon. And um, what was interesting about the New York Marathon, I had a hotel room change because my hotel room flooded that I was in. And then I ended up in a different oh, hotel room next to some... <laughs> ladies that had a party night and and i was like i got like two hours of sleep because they were so loud next door that i i thought oh, i'm gonna you know i'm gonna crash but my guides were fantastic and michaela especially she's like you're doing fine you're doing fine and i'm like thinking there is no way i'm gonna do this and uh, you know there are so many resources financial and others um, where you go like, I can't quit. There is no way I can quit. And also in that moment, it, I remember it very vividly. It was around mile 17. It was super warm in New York that year. It was like in the mm. high 50s or even 
low 60s and I was like, oh my gosh. And it started drizzling and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, I don't know if I can do this for nine more miles. And then there comes this moment where you realize, hey, there are all these people, um, you know, that invest the time to help us participate in these events, right? All my running guides, all like Michaela taking time and Simon flying from England and, you know, helping me guide and accomplish this. And and you go like, there is no way I can quit or, you know, it's all their, their time and resources, you know, that they invested go down too. And I was like, no, I'm going to fight through this. And I finished it, but I had like five and a half hours. It was the hardest marathon i ever ran because i had so little sleep and uh yeah that was definitely a huge experience but the people in new york the spectators and um the experience i had with achilles in new york was just fantastic too getting me the two guides and you know setting me up with it which which was was an unknown for me, right? I didn't know how many people they guided. I knew Simon guided a lot of people, but I, it, guiding was fairly new for Michaela. She's very athletic and a very driven lady, but she did fantastic. She It was a great experience. Um, and just uh, the differences between those marathons, you know, it's like it's such a huge event with all these runners, but each has its own uniqueness. And um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's the difference. And then um, the last one I did was the 2023 Chicago Marathon um, a few months ago, um, where I went with one of my local guides here on to Chicago. And then Achilles hooked me up um, with the guide from Chicago, Chris, who ran two. It was the first time for Chris to run with the hand tether because I actually always run with the hand tether and that's because I'm completely blind. I have no light perception or anything. And so all my guides are guiding me with the hand tether. Interesting. Yeah. Versus the waist. Yeah. And I've never ran with the waist tether. I don't think I, I, I guess I should try it out sometime. I can see where Swinging your arms would be easier, but I don't think I would get enough feedback, um, especially during a race, a big race, um, sure. where you need that feedback of left or right. And, uh, you know, uh, so I don't know. I have heard of people that love running with the waist tether, but I think from what I know, that's more used like in triathlon situations, but I could be totally wrong. So, gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm definitely curious a little more about the guides that you've had and what would you say are like the keys to having a successful partnership with that guide, uh, just in terms of communication and, and how you guys work together. It's, it's really, it's really important that, you know, that the guides that you have, no, that you let the guides know, um, what, what, you know, you have to respect the guide's time and resources too. Some guides have, you know, they have races on their own and they they need to do what they have, what they do too. They have families, they have jobs and, you know, we need to be flexible in, in 
making these considerations for our guides too, but it is truly a teamwork and one can never forget that this is a total, you know, I don't have the resources to pay my guides. Like I can't pay them, you know, 20, 30 bucks an hour to go running with me. Sure. So all my guides are volunteers and, you know, have become friends and, uh, the difference they have made in my life is humongous. I mean, they will never even realize um, what they truly have done to helping me participate in adaptive sports and in these marathon races, because without them, I couldn't do that, you know, without any of the site guides or whatever sports we decide to do. If we don't have some sighted volunteers, you know, it's, it's in very few sports we would be able to participate in. And so it's huge when people sacrifice their time and resources, because, you know, that's one thing you can never, you can never gain that back, right? Like money, you make some money you waste some money, but time is, we all have only a finite amount of time here. And if guides are willing to, give some of that time to us to help us participate in sports. That's like, to me, that's a huge sacrifice they make. Absolutely. Such a great point and such special individuals that really take the time and, and spend yeah. their own money a yeah. lot of times to help, you know, people with disabilities in general be able to participate yeah. in these types of uh -huh. events. Um, just a little more on like the communication with your guide. Um, I did want to mention this video you had sent me, uh, one of the local news stations there in California did a piece on yourself and I believe another blind runner. And I thought it was interesting in the video. Uh, one of the guides was saying like three, two, one, and then saying, you know, turn left, turn Pretty right. Sure. Yeah. Or rails. Yeah. yeah. If you could just elaborate a little more on that. That, that is, um, sometimes differs, you know, like. My guides and I, we, we just, I, I talk quite a bit with my guides. I'm sure sometimes they're like, Roger, be quiet. <laughs> like, but we talk about just daily life and stuff, or they describe areas to me or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, they call out, you know, rails and so forth. And they do do the count or they say, Hey, we're going to pass a pool and stay tight or things like that. You know, I had guides that would, when you first meet the guide, you know, that they, that has never guided before, some of them are like, oh, twig or, you know, a stick or things like that. And that's stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be called out, right? Sure. Like, at least for me, not. Um, but that's like one of the things you want to tell the guides because some of them, they have never guided um, or they have guided someone, you know, there are so many different levels of blindness where, you know, someone, I have no sight, but someone that may have some usable sight, they want to be guided differently than me. Um, or that what's important to them is differently than what is necessarily how I'm asking my guides to guide me. Um, even even between two totally blind people, I don't think anybody is guided the same way. It's a very individual thing. Um, the way I'm, you know, I'm asking or my guides guide me. And 
a lot. It's interesting, you know, every guide that I have guides me slightly differently than the other guide in, you know, just, you know, minusculely, like there isn't a lot of difference, but there is not, none is exactly the same, right? Like the way they hold the tether or the way they, they give me feedback with the tether, nothing is exactly the same. And, um, it's just that you know the guides also know to you know that that to get that you that you have realistic expectations from you guide from your guides and that you're always open with your guides and you know have that communication flow regarding availability how long the runs are all that stuff and that it's well coordinated because ultimately we are the ones that need the assistance and need to you know, convey that to the guide and say, hey, um, you know, can we do this? What's your availability and so forth? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely interesting insight. I appreciate you describing that and such a great point about how everyone's different. You know, like it comes down to personality and just communication style. And But at the end of the day, it sounds like you've had some just truly amazing people that have guided you and have been super super helpful and, and, you know, successful in that. Um, as far as surfing, I understand you have done some surfing, right? Yeah, I did surfing too. I got into that while I was, um, actually the, the first time I surfed was with my second wife. We went to Hawaii and we went through a travel agency that was locally there. And we wanted, we both, we both are blind. And so what ended up happening is um, we tried to go surfing. And at first we were not sure how they would react. And we ended up going with the surfing with the surfing place. We didn't even know that. And the guy was like that owned it was one of the top surfers, I guess, even in the world. And mm. he sent out two of his best instructors. And that was fantastic because they took us to this bay. And the, I think we were even alone in there, but it was like fantastic. Um, we were out there like it's definitely something that I'll never forget. But then when I lived in San Diego, the Lions Club in Encinitas, they have this once a year surfing event together with urban, I think it's called Urban Kids or something, um, with the surf school there in Encinitas. And you go for a day and they teach you how to surf in on on the beach and um in near Carlsbad. And that has been fantastic. I've, you know, I've gone a few times to that and it's always fun. And I made really, I formed their relationships with some of the instructors and that have become friends and are willing to teach me even when the surf event is not going on. So it's like, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's interesting because I often try in surfing to do more of a, skiing stance and I need to be reminded like, no, that's not how you do it. you know? Um, so yeah, but by no means am I like a, a like a great surfer. I, c I can do it somewhat, but I definitely have room to grow. Sure. Sure. Gotcha. And as far as like the adaptations of surfing, I mean, it sounds like it's pretty minimal 
you know, as a blind surfer? Um, it's, it's more, they line you up with the waves, the side, the guides, and then, you know, you have to hop up there and surf towards the shore. Right. Like, so right. I don't know about minimal. The, the thing is like, it, it just depends on what level and so forth. And I'm not at an advanced level where it's just a day of fun for me in the water. Like I love doing stuff like that. And the same is true with water skiing. You know, I do up here, we have, um, during the summer, we have a place it's operated by a chief Tao, which is another nonprofit that has water skiing in this area. Um, and you can book some slots and then go water skiing in a lake that is being, you know, filled during the summer and you can go water skiing and that, that I love doing that. That is, you know, that has come quite easy to me because of, it's pretty easy to water ski. I don't know if it's even like, even because of the, the background I had already in skiing, but, um, it's definitely something super fun to, to do as a, and, and that we have the opportunity to do that, um, up here in Northern California is great. Nice. I've never seen that actually in Southern California. Have you seen it in your area, adaptive water skiing for the blind? Uh, yeah, I actually did get to try it a couple of years ago in Florida. And that uh, was kind of for people with all disabilities. Um, but yeah, it was quite the experience. It was pretty invigorating and pretty empowering feeling I got from that. And, and that's the same here with the Chief Tao. They do it for, you know, not just blind people, but for people with various disabilities. Exactly. Yeah. Which is really neat to see. As far as any other sports for the blind, uh, any others that you've tried or would be interested in trying? Um, you know, I definitely would like to get into the, into more into the hiking stuff. I did that when I still, when I was already visually impaired, but I would definitely like to do that. Um, one of the things of the things on my bucket list is that I do at one point go and try to climb the Matterhorn. Um, you know, since I'm from Switzerland and I had a running guide, I have a running guide in Switzerland who told me that she has a friend that would definitely be able to do that as a guide. And um, she's an avid, her and her husband are avid hikers and they have almost made it to the top, but they had to turn around because the weather changed. And then she said, you can't mess around there because it can get really dangerous super quickly. And, you know, it's, it's for anybody, it's a huge endeavor to do that event, but, um, to, to, to climb the Matterhorn, but especially I think, you know, time-wise it takes so much extra time to go with the blind person and do these things then when you're in, on your own inside that so that will be definitely something i'll have to prepare for and learn about so yeah that's on my bucket list nice very cool and i know you, you do want to run uh as far as the london marathon i think you said you do have that actually coming up right yes that is going to be on april 21st and that will be my fourth world majors and so i'm excited about that one um i have some friends from 
Switzerland that will come and cheer me on. And I also have um, one of my guides who she will come and guide me there. And her husband and one of her sons will come too and, you know, be cheering us on. So all these, that will be my first event in Europe. Um, I've never ran a race in Europe this far. I've trained, you know, in Switzerland and so forth when I went back for visits um, and was training for the Boston Marathon, but I've never raced in, Swiss, uh, in, in Europe or in Switzerland for that matter. So that will be exciting to see, you know, to compare the different venues. And that's something I think I always want to do, um, you know, even... Um, if I have the privilege to ever complete the six-star medal, or by then it might be a seven-star World Majors Marathon medal, who knows? Um, I think I would always want to combine vacations with a half marathon or a marathon race rather than going and seeing, you know, going to museums or, you know, architecture or something like that, I think doing something related with sports or hiking or cycling would always be my preferred choice of experience a country. Sure. Sure. Understandable. And Hey, best of luck on, uh, on London. We'll definitely be excited to hear, hear how that goes for you. Thank you. Yeah. And then, uh, so final question here, as far as advice for other blind and visually impaired individuals listening to this, maybe that aren't quite as active or, are trying to find their niche when it comes to sports or recreation. What kind of advice would you tell someone like that as far as, you know, the benefits of being active and being involved in sports? I mean, the, the one thing that happens is, you know, for example, um, it just gets us out to participate with other people. Um, you know, you get to socialize with other people, actually. In Chicago, I had the privilege sitting during a dinner next to an athlete that had a different disability than I, and I it was cool that I had that chance to interact with an athlete that you know has a hand was a hand cyclist that I have absolutely no had no clue about, and he shared some of his experiences with me, and we exchanged you know information how we participate and stuff like that. And that was cool for me. It's always a great new experience you, to meet other athletes, um, to meet side of people also, like that become your friends. Um, you know, as far as a device that I use, um, I use an iPhone 14 um, Pro um, because it's the most accessible phone for me. And I am wearing an Apple Watch, um, an Apple Watch Ultra that I use. So my together with the Nike Run Club app, it tracks for me my runs, and I can also you know have the um, the callouts when I pass certain mileages and so forth. So um, you know, people have to, or people can get devices that give them the option to, hey, I can run or whatever other sports and just reach out to these organizations or people in your community. Um, may that be some of the consumer organizations like 
the American Council of the Blind or the National Federation of the Blind that I'm part of and, uh, you know, and look for resources. And, you know, even if they're not aligned with any of the um, with any of the disability organizations such as NFP or ACB, reach out to like Achilles International or, you know, create a profile on United in Stride and say, hey, I want to be a walker, I want to be a runner. And um, those are great resources that are around it. And or the Blind Stokers Club in San Diego and become active. It's nobody has to be, you know, like in my situation, I did a 5K run, I thought I'm going to die. And, and, you know, the, the bug bit me in the rear and I, you know, decided, Hey, I want to, I want to do this, this more seriously. So, yeah. Nice, nice, great advice and great way to wrap up here. Thank you. And, um, thank you for having me and, um, yeah, I hope this I could, I could I could give some in, share some information for people, you know, with disabilities that want to be active too, and maybe had not some of this information that I was able to share with you, and hopefully they can tap into these resources that definitely have helped me to, you know, to have a more positive outlook on life. Definitely, yeah. And I was going to mention, I will include a link to that video, uh, the, the news piece that was done on you, and then also links to all these organizations as well in the show notes, uh, so people can uh, easily access that info too. Fantastic. Thank you. Alrighty. Yep. Again, Roger Oberholzer here on Ice Free Sports. Really, really appreciate the time, Roger. It's been a true pleasure. Uh, congrats on all your achievements, and certainly look forward to following uh, your, your athletic journey. Thank you. To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.